Geek Freaks. I am Frank, and today I'm joined by uh, Christopher Michael. How are you doing, man? Doing well. How are you? Doing good. Uh, we're going to be talking about homebrew comics and specifically your book, Crit, which mm-hmm. right off the bat, if you guys, once you guys learn the background of this, you'll be like, oh yeah, I know those crits. That's <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Can you tell us about your project? Can you tell us about Crit? Yeah. So Crit is a superhero action adventure book that is based off of a homebrewed Dungeons and Dragons campaign. It's very buddy cop meets superheroes. So, you know, um, I'm blessed with the fact that that um, Peacemaker came out recently because yeah. we're kind of like a, a, a Peacemaker-ish Suicide Squad kind of story mixed with the, the randomness of Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, totally the vibes of Peace, Peacemaker. That's pretty solid right there. That's good. Um, homebrewed. I just I've been reading it all day and just realized homebrewed is that homebrewed. So we're, 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 <laughs> yeah, I guess some people it. wonder if we make beer. <laughs> yeah. Not a bad side gig. Don't close that door yet. You never know. <laughs> so, so there actually is a homebrewed comics that they that they they don't publish comic books, but it's like a homebrewed like it's a brewery and they do beer comics like like Sunday strips. Oh, okay. And so when I wow. tried to get the Facebook and Twitter accounts, they had both of those. Oh, good. And I was like, I mean, it kind of sucks for me, but I was like, well. We're two different home brewed. So that's why yeah. I like to specify that we're not the beer company. <laughs> hey, there we go. Partnership in the future, though. We'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, all right. Going over crit. Yes, we have it's a covert reconnaissance infiltration team. And uh, to me, I'm getting like vibes of like G.I. Joe and kind of that 80s cartoon. Awesome vibe. Uh, but then, yeah, when you start to dive deeper, you start to see these character sheets pop up and like, oh, these guys are buying items before they go out. It's a very RPG feel very much in the world of uh, tabletop gaming. Where did you get the idea to embrace tabletop gaming into this? So I'll have to rewind to like before the game even started because okay. the comic came second and I had, I had been given some time off my first time since I was 12 where I didn't have a job and I was stressing. I was, you know, what do I do? You know, as a, as a husband, as a father, you know, you find yourself in a position where you don't have a job all of a sudden, and you're like, man, I need to find one. And my wife was like, well, before you just pick up any job, how about you take some time to yourself? We have some money put aside. Take a little bit of time and do something you enjoy, because I've been working for such a long time. And so the first thing I did was I picked up my PlayStation. I started playing Spider-Man. Nice. And I had played Spider-Man on the PS4. I had beaten it. And I was looking at my, my Spider-Man, and I said, wow every Spider-Man can be different, right? You can, like, my Spider-Man was different than somebody else's because of the combinations you could have in a character. Mm-hmm. And 10 years prior, my friends and I had been en- engorged into different, you know, D&D campaigns, and we had tried to get a couple superhero ones off, but we could never balance it properly. Right. And so I looked at the Spider-Man and I said, you can have this, like, base character and then just add a bunch of different features to that character and it doesn't break it. It's still limiting. Right. And my brain just started breaking Spider-Man down into D and D. Yeah. <laughs> and I made a few phone calls and uh, like my friends like to say, I got the band back together and we hadn't really hung out in like 10 years. Some of us, but we, we just kicked off immediately. Like we were back 
you know, in college days, eating pizza, playing Dungeons and Dragons. And it was such a natural, fun experience that we talked about it for the next month because we play monthly. You know, we got guys in their late 30s, early 40s, you know, wife, kids, full time careers. We can't get together as often. So we put aside one Sunday a month and we play for like six hours. Well, between games, we were in a group chat talking about that game all month. Remember when this happened? Oh, this was so funny and this was so cool, right? Yeah. And this is something that I've come to realize. Every, every D&D group has this, this one thing like, oh man, we should make a book out of this or we should do this. And I really had a lot of free time on my hands. You know, I, I had a new job at the time, but I was like really bored too in my spare time. And I, I love to do multiple things at once anyway. I, I, I just, I have like idle hand syndrome. And so I had this work tablet. I just started drawing some of the stuff. I had no idea what I was doing. I had never drawn comic books before. And so I drew a couple panels and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Oh, I'll just make another page. I'll just, all right, fine, I'll make a book. And that was our unreleased issue zero. I wound up shelving that. And then um, we, <laughs> that, that, in that issue, the suits were very different. In fact, yeah. the uh, issue zero we had now, it was a remake of that book. Yeah. And it kind of like makes fun of those original suits because they were knockoffs of, you know, your favorite characters. You know, you have a generic soldier kind of character. You have a Captain America meets Ant-Man. Because I, you just nailed that one right there. I know exactly what you're talking about. Boulders. Yeah. Looks mm-hmm. like, I was like, as soon as he ditched the helmet, I was like, that's cool. <laughs> and it happened in the game because when I first started creating the characters, I was giving them stuff. And I was like, well, Terrell boulder he likes soldiers you know like mass effect and star wars so i was like it makes sense for him to have a cool helmet and so i in in game i was like and you have this helmet and has a hud on it it has all these cool things and in the middle of the game he just like scrapped the idea of a helmet and he's like screw this i don't want a helmet i want to be like all might you know he's like and he gave me how his character would be he's like i'm like eddie murphy becomes all might (laughs) and so you know, it, we kind of progressed the character from there. And, um, you know, every character had its own little progression as far as like visually what they wanted to look like. Mm-hmm. But, you know, by the time I had finished issue one, we had set settled on what they look like. So that issue zero, we were still in that phase of like, well, what do our characters look like? And that's why at the end, there's like a bunch of jokes about how we scrapped some of those for, uh, you know, copyright reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a cool origin story the, I mean, because as you're talking, you know, as a D&D player myself and many of, and many of those who listen, I mean, just first off, scheduling 30-year-old men to do anything, monthly <laughs> basis if you're lucky. It's, a, it's tough. But yeah, D&D sessions, these long sessions, they're stories that develop in them that you can't stop sharing amongst each other. Like, oh, can you believe that one time Jeff, you know, did this stupid thing, you know, and then me as a cleric kind of save his ass, stuff like that all the time. And so it's, it would make great content. It would make a good comic book. And you embracing the creation of the comic book at first, did you feel like you needed to bring on a new team to develop this further? Or do you thought I could try to do this myself? Which way did you go with this? Oh, I just said, I'm going to do it myself. Um, And and knowing at first that this wasn't, I guess I should say this, like the idea of this coming to Kickstarter or having the, the groundwork that we have now, like, like I have a stuffed version of our cat 
And, I have know, that in my notes that I'm not happy that that's not on your shop right now, by the way. I'm looking at through your shop. I'm like, is the cat in there? Where's Samedi? I don't see him in there. I could, <laughs> actually, you know, I should put him on there. I was keeping him on. Well. He's, he's an add-on for the Kickstarter, so I should actually okay. just go ahead. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this was just supposed to be something for me to do in my pastime and for them to kind of laugh at. Mm-hmm. And the idea of the Kickstarter came about because the um, halfway through issue one, a buddy of mine who was doing coloring for me, who I played D&D with as well, he had twins and he couldn't do the coloring anymore. And so, you know, again, this wasn't supposed to be a budgeted thing. I was going to learn how to draw while I'm doing it. He was going to color it and he's a tattoo artist. So, you know, it was going to build his skill while building my skill and we would just have fun. Well, then somebody said, well, if you put it on Kickstarter, you know, maybe you'll get a, a, a following or like people will check it out and maybe they'll give you money. Like, so that way you can pay a colorist. And I was like, okay, I'll see what that's about. Well, I did the research on Kickstarter. I didn't have an Instagram. I didn't have like a following. Cause again, this was just something we did in the basement and I just put it on Kickstarter. Um, I didn't even know how Kickstarter works. So I, I, I will preface that. I accidentally launched the campaign and I put a $1,500 goal on there because I, I just looked at all the research and the research said 1500. And I said, well, I only need a couple hundred, but 1500 would pay for this. And then it would set me up so I could have the next book colored and we could get printing. So I just made that a goal. I didn't realize that if you don't hit the goal, you can't collect. We had like 30 backers and we got, we raised like almost 600 bucks with no social media presence whatsoever. And me just like hitting up Kickstarter and then randomly making a Instagram the day it launched. Well, it failed. Um, And I talk about this pretty open with people because I think it's important that, you know, as creators, your first out may not work and you can't just let that dictate your future. Right. Right. So the fact that 30 people though, went in and backed that book without knowing anything, I said, okay, people are interested. Mm -hmm. And um, a buddy of mine who is independently wealthy found out that I was working on this and he sent me the money to finish the book. I was blessed. Well, I finished the book, I printed the book and then I contacted everybody that had backed the Kickstarter. And I said, hey, I don't want your money because I already have it. You know, I was blessed with someone So instead of being greedy and asking you to pay for your copies that you wanted, I'm just going to ship them to you. And in return, if you could make a post on social media, you know, tagging my Instagram, which I was at like 200 followers by this point, if I was lucky, um, you know, tag my Instagram and tell me what you think of my book. That's it. And all 30 people came back for the second Kickstarter. One of them is a really good friend of mine now. Mm -hmm. And I took all the feedback they gave me. And I made book two better. And I still use some of that feedback to this day. And, you know, some of them gave me artwork feedback. Some of them gave me story feedback. Everybody loved the ending. Like that was the the consensus was like, man, that ending was such a gut punch. That was so cool. So unexpected. Yeah. I had many people that were like, you know, I was reading it and it seemed like a normal superhero. You know, you're going through and and it's normal. And then all of a sudden it's like, what the crap? Yeah. And so, so I said, okay, we're on to something. 
You know, you don't have to do everything right. You just have to do something right and then grow off that something. And um, that motivated me to go back and make a number two. So I launched number two a few months later on Kickstarter. It funded in day one. So that was really cool. There we go. Yeah, I was I was stoked. You know, I had yeah. uh, people were interested in the book. Now I was able to bundle both one and two. And we had, you know, we, we did quite a quite a good uh, amount of books on that Kickstarter. And then we funded so well that then I could do I I had enough to make book three already. Oh, wow. And so I said, well, um, everybody that backed book two, you're going to get book three now because it's already paid for with the money you put in for book two. And I went to Indiegogo because in that time period, someone reached out to me, uh, someone who is a very good friend of mine now, said, hey, um, he, he had, I had given him that, that very rough issue zero that I did. And he liked it. And he's like, but I kind of want to redraw this for you. Um, I had found out he was drawing on his phone and he had done some fan art for us. And he helped me with a cover. And then I found out he was drawing on his phone. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> and I was like, dude, and he's in Australia. So yeah. I had a like $500 Samsung, very nice tablet that I wasn't using. It was what I drew the original book on. I had since moved to an iPad. And I was like, hey, like this is a really nice tablet, you know, pretty expensive. Um, I've got the pen for it. I've got everything. I'm not using it. I'll just ship it to you. And I talked to a couple of people that had he had done fan art for. Yeah. I said, hey, if we split the shipping between us, because, you know, shipping to Australia, a piece of electronics, it's like 200 bucks. Yeah. And so we each chipped in, you know, like 30 bucks or so, and we shipped this down to him. And he's like, hey, you put this together for me. So as a thank you, I want to redraw that issue zero. And so he went in and redid issue zero for me. And I said, well, given I gave him a nice tablet, that's still not in my head, like enough thank you for that much work an 18 page book you know so i took that to indiegogo with book three instead of going back to kickstarter and kind of like kicking my backers in the in the you know in the junk i was like well we can go to indiegogo it's an alternate route mm -hmm. there are different people on indiegogo and i did all my market research i talked to a lot of people even backers and i said hey if i had taken this to indiegogo is it going to be like a spit in anybody's face and everybody was like, well, no. And I was like, well, I'll do two covers for book three. I have a heroes and a villains. And it's actually on my back wall right here, this big spread. Oh, okay. So yeah, it cool. was a four panel piece that I had done. And so I was like, cool. Well, that way backers can choose heroes or villains. And all the people from book two, if they come back to the Indiegogo, whichever one they choose, I'll give them the other one for free. That way they get the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm living up to my end of the deal. Or if they just get one of them, then they can just have it. Right. And so that did even better than our Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah. And so I was able to send them, you know, money for working on the book as well. And that was really cool. And then a few months later, I was like, well, now we have, we're on book four, <laughs> right? Yeah. So now I have five books out and the, it, it's just been like a snowball effect. And yeah. a lot of people will say that, it, you know, and you can, I'm sure everybody that does a Kickstarter or has a book tries to figure out what's working, what's not, so they can continue on. And every, all the feedback I've gotten is people enjoy, you know, for lack of any other words, they like walk, watching my friends act like idiots. So yeah. 
um i tell them all the time i'm like hey you, you this guy just said this was really cool that boulder did this or that caliber did this and um i can't say enough how good of a feeling it is to have one of my my close friends have a bad day but then we get like a cool fan art or something and yeah. i show it to him and he's like man today sucked but now my day is good because somebody just drew my character yeah because they're not really on social media they're not as integrated with a lot of the stuff that i am and so they kind of see it third party right mm -hmm. and when they get to see because these characters aren't characters they created the the notion of the I, the game was you wake up with superpowers so they are drawing my friends when you draw boulder you're literally drawing terrell williams you know just as a superhero yeah. and it's really cool when they get that stuff it was cool when terrell you know he's older he was like, well, dang, I don't look like that in real life. And he went and dropped 50 pounds and got jacked so he could look yeah. like older, you know? Um, it was a lifestyle change for him. You know, him yeah. and his wife now, they're in the gym all the time and they eat healthy because he looked at his character and said, I don't look like that and I need to. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. Um, so outside of just being able to get fans and sell books and make stuffed animals, <laughs> it's been it's been kind of... Um, like life-changing for some of us to be able to share this with everybody. Well, you, you started it off, right? I mean, you created this community first, which is one of the hardest things for creators to understand. Like, oh, well, they'll like my work and they'll follow me. No, you created this community, which is now feeding back into it. The feedback you're getting is now bettering itself. And it's just creating this thing where now your fans have a level of ownership and they want to be there for you guys. And I think that alone is going to keep them around beyond the fact that crit's just awesome <laughs> yeah, so that's just that's just really cool uh and then i i the hustle that you're explaining is is hard for a lot of people to to comprehend the idea that you're you're living you're breathing this comic book and making sure that it's out there your friends are that third party that are kind of like seeing and so you see the feedback immediately um i think other creators i've talked to and including other podcasters it's a similar situation uh so it's pretty pretty amazing that community have you seen the core 30 grow to where you have like a bigger feedback pool yeah um you know my we had went from 30 to like 55 on the second kickstarter indiegogo did about 60 and then the last kickstarter did 126 wow and a lot of them get multiple books mm -hmm. so um you know i sent out on my last kickstarter issue zero through three and issue four on that kickstarter I had more first time backers on there supporting physical copies than I had in the past, because you're going to get a good amount of digital cop backers, you know, right. people that just want to help you see, see you succeed. Or there's people like me. I just, I back physical on the ones I want on my wall. And yeah. I'm a 30, almost 40 year old man with very limited wall space. And, you know, my wife will only allow me so much room. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I feel so, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to put everything in a box in the closet and, you know, so some, sometimes and for price points, you know, like you can't control the wallet, but I want right. to back your book. I'll do a digital, right. If I don't know you and as first time backer and I really don't have the money, but I want to see you do something, I'm going to back it at three bucks or five bucks, whatever your digital copy is. My digitals are always three. And, you know, to be able to see the digitals 
go down and the physicals continually going up, that's that's big for me because someone's going to buy a physical copy. Most likely they're going to read that, you know, um, there are collectors and stuff, but I don't pretend that we're something big. People probably got buy this book to read it. That was my hope. And on book four, I had so many people actually hitting me up afterward. Oh man, that when the, the thing we get, and I, and I love this, we're a fun book. Yeah. Nobody says anything like the action is over the top or like this part was cool. It's just, you are a fun book. Yeah. And that's what matters. Definitely. We're you get that A&D. vibe, you know? Yeah, yeah. You get the vibe that it's just like, explosions might happen. It's fine. I mean, speaking of the helmet removing situation, Boulder then put on sunglasses mm-hmm. and is wearing those sunglasses at the briefing later on. <laughs> yep. That's what's rolling on. I mean, you know, I just, <laughs> it's a fun book. It's exactly right. That's great. And we were, we, we read all the reviews, like yeah. every review that comes in and uh, I have zero ego, right? So someone could say my book sucks and they hate it and they could give me a as long as they give me reasons why they don't like my book, I'm fine because I can take those reasons and I can grow from them. And I had um, early on, I had, you know, during the Indiegogo, I had partnered with a, um, a marketing person, not Jeff, uh, a different marketing person who uh, (laughs) read a review that we had that was giving a breakdown of everything. and And it said like where book one, the art wasn't, it was good, but it wasn't like, the best artwork in the indie community, but the storytelling was great, you know? And, and I think I got like a three out of five on the art, right? Mm-hmm. I never pretend that I'm the best artist in the world. If somebody gives me a three out of five, let me tell you something. I learned how to draw by doing this comic book. Yeah. <laughs> so if on my first issue, I got a three out of five, Hey, I'm happy with that because, you know, I'm, I'm of the mindset that a really good story can carry mediocre art but then and then in the same review they reviewed book two and book three and they're like by book three i thought it was a different artist because the artwork had grown that much and so we were going through this and the the marketing guy goes doesn't that like hurt your feelings i'm like why my character in the D &D book is the artist and i'm leveling up every book and this reviewer just said by book three they thought it was a different person I said, that's a compliment, you know, and they didn't even give book one a bad review. They just said it wasn't as good as book three. And it shouldn't be because I'm drawing every day by book three. I should be better than book one. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm not generally I've been drawing plus for four intellect. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't pretend that I'm something that I'm not. And I'm yeah. happy. And right. I've asked people, I've asked so many people, should I go back and redraw book one? And they're like, no, it's really cool to see you level up your art. Yeah. Like that's my character. I get to level up in the art category. <laughs> I'm in the background. So yeah. I think that's kind of cool. Like everybody gets to see my characters level up, but they see me level up in every book as well. And I don't need to have that, that, you know, character insert. I'm just there, you know, with every, every line is me. And that's kind of, you know, it, it's, it's a good feeling when I get that yeah. feedback. Like when book four came out and a close friend of mine who I love his artwork, he messaged me and said, man, I got to kick my game up. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He goes, you're, you're just like killing it now. And I mean, that does mean to a lot of people, like you can see that one of two ways, either, Hey, my work wasn't that great before, or Hey, that means my work is paying off. Right. Yeah. And so I take that stuff and I, I love it. You know, I love the feedback. I love 
any kind of um, like review we can get. And whereas I know some people I've, I've, I've read reviews where people are like, Oh man, you gave me a 4.5 out of five. Oh, and I'm like, really? Yeah. <laughs> what I'm the, I'm the guy that's like, Hey, my glass is always half full, you know? Right. So yeah. when it comes to my book, don't talk about other stuff, but when it comes to this, especially, you know, I think just the fact that someone picked the book up and read it, that's a five to me right there. That just makes me happy. Yeah. And, and nowadays, if anybody takes the time to review it at all is pretty astronomical. Everybody's usually too busy to even do that nowadays. That's pretty cool. I'm just glad that we're not just a bathroom read, you know? Yeah. Because so many people will buy a book and never read it. And you can tell when someone's read the book, like a guy messaged me and said, Hey, hey that looks really cool. And I, I was like, Oh, what do you think of it? And he told me, he's like, Hey, I never read it. He's yeah. like, I bought all your books. I buy every one of your books on Kickstarter. He's like, but they just go on a shelf. He's like, I don't have time to read them. He's like, one day I'll make time. I get it. You know, I work full time. Mm-hmm. But then I'll get somebody that's like, oh, man, I got to this ad that you put in the book for the boulder dashes. And I threw the book across the room. He was like, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, ah, you know, I got to show you that they're marketable, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's kind of like a the boys move. where It's mm-hmm. like you're watching um, what they would actually be like in, in, in our real life. It would be like that. Uh, exactly. Like. We, we um, early on, we were, were we were told we were like the boys. And I was like, yeah, but we don't have the cussing. We do have violence, but not that level of sexuality and violence. Um, Just the vibe, though. Well, some of those ads are meant because Technetic, the company they work for, Mm -hmm. is trying to market them. And they keep making themselves unmarketable because they go out there and they do this stupid stuff. And that was me. You know, as a DM, I'm like, well, how can I make them money? without putting a job system in place, it's like, well, I'll just sell like merchandise of theirs and I can give them like residual off that, off that as like eliminating the economy piece because budgeting economy in D and D is really hard. You know, it's a lot of micro. And so I was like, Oh, we'll fix that. I'll just market your t-shirts and your shoes and stuff. And then I'm like, but you guys got to stop killing everyone. (laughs) Yeah. It goes back to that peacemaker thing. Like you cannot sell peacemaker shirts in the peacemaker world. It would not work. It's like, because the guy doesn't really stand for peace. He kind of just murders everything. Yeah. <laughs> Don't look into his dad. It gets rough real quick. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's such a good show. I, my, I mean, Boulder was really, I mean, there's so many really good characters, right? Boulder was the first one, but Samedi is definitely like, he's grown to be my favorite. And I mean, talk about the evolution of your art style. He's, he's the one where I feel like you catch it the most because mm-hmm. it's like, man, I mean, now he's got that look, the shading in the hair. And it's just crazy. Uh, Tell me about Samedi. What's your inspiration for, for this character? So the character that um, Spectre, in real life, right. Austin is allergic to cats, okay? Oh, that's so perfect. Okay. <laughs> and he he's a wizard, warlock, necromancer uh, build, right? Yeah. So, and he's also another, he's a dungeon master in another game that I play. Mm-hmm. And um, he loves to press the DM for more right okay and yeah. see what he can get away with and so we had uh talked about his familiar at one point and he's like oh i want my familiar to be like a weapon and then like, i can call upon it and it'll be like this demon god thing and it went through so many different variations before i just got frustrated and i was like no he's a cat when you yeah. call upon him he's a cat and you can only have him out for four hours before you take allergy to him and then you have negative side effects for him being out so that way he's not overpowering him yeah 
And um, I'll give this piece away. He does have two other little animal companions that show up. And it's kind of a playoff of the fact that in real life, Austin loves Pokemon too. So he's got to collect them all. And in like book four, you see him kind of playing Pokemon Go because he does it when we're playing. And um, and he's got like a whole sleeve of Pokemon characters on his arm. That's, you know, he's a big Pokemon person. So when it came to building the character, we gave him three different gods that he can call upon. The first one he gets is a cat. And I won't give the other two away because they do come in at the book end of book five. But the the whole idea was that I want to give him something that is the negative and a positive at the same time. And what better than to give him an, an, a cat with a drinking problem, a smoking problem, yeah. where's a top hat and a bow tie. So there's yeah. a real, like, look, I'm on the clock. Like I'm not, I'm not going to do what you want to do kind of thing for the next four hours. He's got a real cool vibe about him. He's just, he's a real quick fan favorite. I think in my book, I loved how he came off and he's not always there because you know, there are games when Austin just forgets that he does that, especially early on when we gave him yeah. that build. And if you play D&D, you know, you forget half the stuff that you can oh do. Oh, my God, yeah. And so, uh, actually, in book four, when we were writing it, I'm like, wait a minute, you don't have Semedi out at all in the book. I'm like, so, Austin, like, how do you explain not using Semedi for that, that session? He's like, he was drunk the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, in the book, I just drew him. <laughs> Like he calls, he calls on him and there he is just laying on the ground with a bottle of rum, just passed out drunk. That was, and, that's, uh, I know exactly which one you're talking about. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and it was also inspired, like the whole scene came up and um, the cover artist, uh, uh, Robert Nix, who did the Semeti cover. Mm-hmm. So there's an actual cover of him. He was like, well, what do you want me to do with this cat cover you want done? I'm like, I just want him drunk. Right. Yeah. Does I have this cat drunk on the cover. Like, as a as a fan of like art and things, that's eye catching to me. It's like you don't see a cat passed out drunk on the cover, and there he is with a bottle <laughs> of rum. His eyes all messed up. Yeah. And so, after I got the cover, I hadn't even finished the scene in the book yet, and we were going to have a slight mention that he was drunk. And when I saw the cover, I'm like, oh, I got to show off this. Yeah. So I actually redrew a similar scene in the book, so that way you visually got to see this drunk cat. Um, I will say when he comes back in book five, he is a bit hungover and his eyes are all like discombobulated and I made him look like a mess. It was great. Um, and so when he first comes back, he's yelling at everybody for talking too loudly. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, how do you not root for him? Right. (laughs) You have to root for him. It's the drunk cat. He's going to, you know, and he doesn't really have to do anything. He just has to be there to have an impact. So by him being out, um, the way it works mechanically in game is by uh, when he's out, Spectre has an additional like list of spells that he can access because of the cat. So he's a buff. He is a, um, instead of having like a wizard spell cat, you know, he, he just opens them up to more abilities. But what's cool is when we introduce the other animals, Spectre's colors can kind of change and his um, overall abilities change. So like one is kind of a, a bard kind of spell book. So you get more of the mind stuff with him. Yeah. And then uh, the other one is like a straight up uh, wizard uh, or sorry, uh, it's a warlock because you had like this, uh, Samedi really brings in some of the necromancy stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we have like a warlock kind of character. 
So he gets more of like the warlock spell list and then a bard spell list. We wanted like different things for him. Yeah. And the warlock gets to do multiple casts at the same time. So you'll see him like have a firewall up over here and then blasting over this way. Oh, he can only have one concentration at the same time. Uh, yeah, but you can get some like Elgic Blast out real quick, you know, just kind of. Yeah. <laughs> every warlock's got to cast that like every day or else they didn't do their job right. I like... wanted to put Eldritch Blast in there and um, we had to rename it Ethereal Blast. Ethereal Blast, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Ethereal Blast is his version of Eldritch Blast and that's pretty yeah. much what you see most of the time. And then in book three, you see him kind of use the 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 final ability where he calls up the flames from underneath um, Sanguine. And in book four, he's getting ready to like, you know, build it. He has a big fireball building up. Um, that he's about to hit uh, bones with before Specter com- uh, uh, caliber comes in and saves the yes. well saves the day. <laughs> before we leave Samedi, the fact that you brought up the necromancer, I just really want to call this out for those of you guys listening to this, and I, I'll try to have visuals of him too. He has like the bone mask, like a, almost like a voodoo bone uh, painting on his face mm-hmm. that uh, and the top hat. So I mean, it's like it really does convey a cool necromancer. You got to bring that. Are you bringing out that cool stuff? Animal. <laughs> there you go. Yep. This is Samedi right here. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, I couldn't, uh, so, you know, we were looking at some of the, um, the stretch goals for our, for like the last Kickstarter. Yeah. And, you know, I've got a kid and, um, I found, I found a place that just did custom stuffed animals. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, why not? Right. Like, let's just put a stuffed animal out there see what it does. And a good majority of them actually went out. Cause I had to order a minimum, a minimum order. And I didn't think we'd move that many, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be like egotistical. I was like, Oh, we probably won't move that many. Who's going to want that. I had so many people after they got their Kickstarter say, Hey, can I order another one of those? Yeah. yeah why? Well, it came in and my kid took it as soon as I got it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, sure. That's, that's freaking cool. Um, my kid has one. Um, my buddy's kid was like, Hey, can I have that cat? Yeah. <laughs> And it's nice and fluffy. And of course, you know, top hat, you can't really go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. He looks like somebody you kind of want to hang out with, but also not make any deals with yeah. that might not go your way. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's actually a good, good definition of that character right there. Yeah. Um, okay. So, I mean, again, guys, I can't suggest this book enough. At first glance, it has that, you know, G.I. Joe feel. But then once you go deeper into it, you're like, holy cow, this thing's so much more complex. And the characters are much more complex. It's so much so that you're really invested. And then again, in talking to you, Chris, now we're more invested in you because we see how you grew as well. And uh, that's just so freaking neat. So as for the books, where do we see these characters going forward? Are we going to be adding more characters, expanding the story? Team wise, we don't add any core team members. Right. There will be like some NPCs. Um, I build when I say I build the team. It's just like D&D. When yeah. you introduce a character, they're either going to murder Hobo it and kill it, or they're going to be like, well, you could come in handy later. We'll let you hang out with us for a bit, right? Yeah. There are a few characters like that. Um, some of the core background characters like Richter and Shaw that I've already introduced, um, even Pharaoh, um, those characters do take on a bigger role later on. But my my storytelling aspect of this is to always show and not tell. And I, I'm in this for the long game. I've yeah. read a lot of books where they give up a lot in the beginning 
and there's no payoff in the end. Mm-hmm. Crit is all about the payoff because as a DM and a dungeon master, my goal is to keep my players interested from session right. to session. And so that kind of bleeds into the storytelling. And storytelling wise, and when I go into how I want to direct the book, you always see it from the character's perspective. So there's other things going on that we learn through events and some of these key NPC characters that will come in and, and let you know, hey, this is going on. We need to go do this. But unless Crit knows, <laughs> like if, if, if Crit doesn't know, the reader doesn't know. Right. And so um, the, the, their core team is done. The introduction of Bones, and you see him at the end of book four where they're like, what do we do with this big guy? You know, um, he is the last member of Crit. And then, um, like I said, we'll have some NPCs that'll hang out with them. I've got some like outlier members that will hang out in a book, but they're never, they're not crit. They're just right. sidekicks. <laughs> For those who play D and D, that's that's kind of what I was thinking. Is uh, through the sessions I've played, there are these characters, these NPCs that pop up that become recurring characters, and sometimes your soul bond into a dragon. You know, stuff like that happens, and so. Um, I, I could kind of imagining that imagine that happening in your guys' sessions, and you're like, well, we have to make a, a Joe character, you know, this whatever the shopkeeper, just because you guys have gotten so attached to him. Uh, does any of that kind of happen, where like your guys' session creates something that's just like, well, we have to add that to the book now? Uh, kind of yes and no. Well, yes. Later on, right now where we're at in the story, it was just crit. I was focused on just them for the very first portion of this because up until, especially in the comic, um, I felt zero through five was my origin story for the team. It's them really finding themselves, right? So between zero and five, you see them figure out, and this is like any D&D group. You get in. You figure out what your character is. You kind of learn the play style of that character. And then in that time period, the DM is just, hey, save, save the, the, village, the, the burning village or, you know, go, um, you know, go dungeon crawl over here, right? Yeah. Book one was a dungeon crawl. Book three was a dungeon crawl. Um, book two was my, my uh, uh, you know, runaway cart like somebody stole my stuff kind of thing yeah i used i, I tried to use like traditional D tropes but with a very modern superhero setting and i tried to tie a lot of it back into what what is my character's reasoning well they work for technetic right now so technetic is sending them off to do all this stuff by the end of book five they kind of realize the world is bigger than what they thought right and that's in most D campaigns by the time you get a few sessions in it's when the DM is like, cool, there's a bigger thing. Yeah. And book five is that, hey, there's a bigger thing. And I don't, I don't give it all away, but I drop just enough for them to go, hey, maybe we should go do this. Right. Yeah. And there's always then, that like Cthulhu that eventually when you guys are strong enough, you got to go take out Cthulhu. Exactly. Yeah. And I drop this hint that like maybe everything that we thought we knew is wrong. And maybe like, and, and, my my overall idea is like, hey, the existence of superheroes in our world sounds great when you have your hired thug that goes out, like, you know, your hired crit, right? Mm-hmm. Technetic hires crit to go out and save their stolen shipments or figure out what's going on, all these weird occurrences over here. Because 
technetic in this world wants to be the savior. So they're, you know, they want to, they want to build the brand. What better way to build the brand than to send the heroes to save the day, right? Yeah. Well, what happens when you realize that the existence of these powers given to the wrong people can be bad, right? And that's where crit goes. It's like, oh, I guess we're not alone. And this is probably a bad idea. Um, so you see a lot of like NPCs over time. I have a couple DM insert characters that show up. Uh, one is, is me. He will, I will try to draw myself in the book. They have requested I draw myself in there, a little Italian guy in, the, in a suit. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think I actually might have him working on a comic book while he's in there as well. Um, nice. So, and actually we've already written the comic book. It's called Mr. Wizard and Friends. It's a whole other D&D game we played. But uh, <laughs> um, actually, yeah, it, it's fun. It'll show up at some point. But um, the the core group will be the core group and that's that's because this this entire um story arc this story of crit will be roughly about 40 books okay. we've been playing so long we're right at like i think in the 30s right now and right after book 40 we should be able to stop mm-hmm. and um i don't you know all of us have talked right the fact that we are going on three almost four years in the same D campaign is amazing yeah so and part of that is due to due to people being interested in the book because now my 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 team is invested in finishing the story so that way everybody gets a finished story. But we want to move on to something some other campaign. You know, we right. want to play a different D&D game. Yeah, um, <laughs> what I'm doing as a DM is I'm having some side stories of characters that are in the crit world. So I might not introduce new new members to crit, but I've got a team called Vanguard that pops up and that will be a separate game. And it's not superheroes. It's a group of humans that are sent out to like, it's a high tech thing, like, uh, like, um, shield, you know? Right. Yeah. Stuff like that. It's like, <laughs> uh, men in black that show up to stop <laughs> the, the evil circus or something. I haven't written all the, the game sessions yet. We're about to start playing that one, but it's going to be a side story. So you can kind of see the world is bigger than just crit, but crit is going after the main threat. Right. And there are some other things going on in the world. Um, I'm bringing in a new character, like an actual player for that game, so I can mix up the personalities a bit. Yeah. And I might kill some of them because they're going to be, you know. <laughs> I, I try really hard to kill my characters, but I've also made them very hard to kill. Yeah. So I really do try to kill them. They come back quite often. Uh, some of them roll really well. Some of them always, always remember they have a healing spell. Um, yeah. You know, so... They'll forget the cat, but they remember the healing spells. <laughs> well, that's funny because the cat can heal too. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they forget to ask him sometimes. And it's like, except Caliber doesn't benefit from anything because he's immune to you know, magic abilities. And we kind of allude to that in book um, three and four. You kind of get that idea when Bones' of sword goes straight through him and you think he's done, but he gets up. He's like, I'm immune to your bullshit, right? Yeah. Um, that comes into a big play. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the core characters. I think writing a team book is tough for, especially someone who has like, I haven't been writing team books for my whole life. And it's not like you could just throw X-Men at me with 30 different characters and I would make a book out of it and be successful. Balancing five characters alone is tough. Yeah. Adding others in is, is hard. So don't, don't expect crit to become like deus ex or what is it? Uh, the, uh, 
Machina, whatever that one was, um, that Matt Mercer does with like 20 people playing. Yeah, no. That's nuts. I would, and, I, I couldn't manage that <laughs> big of a campaign. Yeah. And first up, I don't think your community would want that. They, it seems like they want that like in person experience. They would have to have character charts on their walls to just manage everybody that you got going yeah, on and hitting each other. It's nuts. Yeah. We've uh, toyed with the idea of like having other characters or doing other things. But I like that they just get tag along a little bit because that's what D&D is, you know? Yeah, I mean, and the idea that D&D is tied to this and stuff like that, I want to make sure people understand this is all very much modern day and stuff like that. That We're talking about feature tech um, because we do talk about D&D quite a bit here. Uh, Speaking, I I wanted to talk a lot about about the comic book, but we keep getting into this whole DM idea because it's so unique. It's so cool. It puts you guys so outside of the norm and I think is what's really going to pull people in. Your DM skills, I mean, the DM's job is got to be the hardest job in because uh, i'm not the dm in our session thank god mm-hmm. i like i'm the guy that's like i mean not to go too far off course but we ended up getting like basically the governor's bag of uh you know all his gold so we kind of broke the game in a lot of ways i've already like made myself you know a mayor of a town just because i wanted to get one thing out of it <laughs> sounds like <laughs> me as a player yep yeah so my poor dms like try to figure out what to do and i've bonded with two different dragons so it's, it's been pretty nuts so as a DM, is there any skills that you're taking from that uh, kind of profession and putting into making a comic book? It seems like there's some some layout like similarities. Yeah, I mean, as a as a DM, I'm like a director, so I don't. I I get I get the writing question quite a bit, and it's hard to like explain the process there. A DM, a good DM, doesn't write a campaign for his players. Right. Because then you're going to pigeonhole them into things. And early on, I, I struggled, right? My, my very first campaign that I DM, not with crit with actually Mr. Wizard and friends, which is a side book that exists within crit that we're going to draw separately and like mishmash the whole thing together. It's gonna be fun. But, um, uh, so the first, uh, I'll give this away with Mr. Wizard and friends. They, I, I put them in this situation where all this bad stuff is happening. Uh, you know, the Norse gods are, are inhabiting human bodies and the Greek gods don't like it. So the Greek gods are like bestowing other humans with their powers and sending them off to fight these, you know, other Greek gods, the the Norse gods. Right. And so my heroes have just been bestowed with their powers on them and they need a break. Your first session is base of operations, right? Mm -hmm. Meet at the bar, the bar becomes your base or whatever, like meeting grounds you have. So I send them off to this encampment in the middle of some country, like Turkey or something. Mm-hmm. And I give it, it's like a, it's a fortified compound. And inside is Kanye West. And you are there to rescue and interrogate Kanye West because he knows about the, uh, the God of war who are the, no Persephone, I think it was, which was, um, his wife at the time, the Kardashian, Kim Kardashian, Kim, Kim Kardashian, Kardashian has been possessed and is now Persephone and she is causing chaos and you need to go there and interrogate Kanye West. Well, in true D&D fashion, they just attack the compound. A bad DM didn't set them up that they were actually supposed to go there and like, like just go there and talk to him. Right. They mustard gas the building. They blow a hole in the side. They put a gun to Kanye's head and he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like, yeah, you just killed all of your support soldiers blew up your own building. And I was just here waiting for you guys. Yeah. And they look at me and they were like, why didn't you just tell us to walk in the door? I'm like, you didn't ask. <laughs> yeah. 
it's it's tricky because there's like a bit of like setting the stage and letting them play in it and then you know using that and then there's also like yeah but you don't need to like throw rocks right away ask questions you know observation check do these checks first guys so when we started crit i took a lot of what i learned from that game and i incorporated like but i'm still i'm always going to be pigeonholed and that's what dms are we're always pigeonholed into they're trying to kill us like we reached a point in crit where I I was trying to have the bad guys do something relatively decent because they uh, they meet a group of knights, for instance, who have a moral code, a code of valor, and they would not fight crit in the condition they were in. And prior to the session, I called Brad, who is caliber. Brad is like a lifetime DM. He's been playing since he was like five years old. I said, Brad. All right, I know you guys, and this is going to happen, and you have to be prepared. Like, like it's going to be a good thing that they're they're going to put you up and like help you out and let you recover before they fight you. And he was like, "You know, we're never going to go for that." Right? Yeah. He's like, "We're never going to trust anything you put there for us." He goes, "Exactly. You're going to have to either force us to do it, or somehow convince us that it'd be a good idea." <laughs> and somehow I was able to convince them that this was a good idea based on the premise that these were knights with a very uh, a very strong valor of them and they're the leader of these knights was like hey like all joking aside like i had to i had to prep an entire speech yeah right and so that's where some of this comes in as far as writing is more being prepared for what they could do and being prepared for everything that they probably shouldn't do so I stopped writing these like big overarching things because that's what I did in the beginning was I would spend six, eight hours writing this entire crazy campaign idea. And we would be 15 minutes in and I'd be like, I don't know what to do here because I didn't plan for this. Right. Yeah. And Brad was like, you need to just set the stage and let us run with it and just react to us. Just have things that you can react with. He's like, because if you have a plan for it and then you have to move it in the plan, then maybe you're, you're going to knock dominoes over in, the, in, in there. He said, as a DM, he goes, you just write down a bunch of stuff that you want to have happen at some point and then have a trigger when we do something stupid. Yes. And so that's what I started doing. I was like, all right, I want a group of enemies to fight them at some point. Okay, cool. They went into an elevator. Aha. You know, <laughs> Surprise. Like, <laughs> yeah. Perfect timing. Yeah. And, um, my, I, they make me as they become better players, they make me a better DM. Yeah. And, and a lot of this stuff always goes back to the fact that now it's a comic book and people are reading it. Like just the fact that people are interested in it means we're putting that much more effort into the final yeah. product. So, you know, as a DM, typically, you know, there's, you have, I mean, you're nailing it, right? You get that list. You want to make sure these things happen. Oh, I've got this really cool character. I want them to run into where is the, is the real question. So, but typically like, okay, next session, based off the decisions you guys made today, I'm going to make this happen next session or try to make this happen next session. But you're in a very unique situation where you're also building a storyline in a comic book. So how often does the comic book actually change what you're going to do next session? You know, are you actually like going fully DM or are you like, well, yeah, but comic book wise, we should have our third act. Is that happening? Um, So early on, we decided that the comic would never dictate the game. Okay. And that was because I have a strong belief that 
if we change how we are change our process, we ultimately change the product. Mm-hmm. So if the game, if the comic is supposed to be based on the game, the game needs to come first. Right. And so then what I'll do is, and, and if you play D&D, you know, it's like the DM will set something up for something to happen and you'll go burn down a building somewhere else. And then that will never happen. Right. Yeah. I've had a few of those where I've set something up to happen and then all of a sudden they just never even make it. there. Yeah. So even though I've laid the groundwork for it, and in the reader's eyes, if I put some of these things in, they're like, where's that going? Well, the players didn't care about it. So what I'll do is I'll omit those, right? Okay. Like we had this underground society of magic users that they were supposed to like integrate with. And they were like, we don't want to be part of that. Screw that. <laughs> and I had spent an entire session building this up. They never visit it. They never use it. It went away. Like four sessions later, I said, okay, so we're going to retcon this. It never happened. Yeah. Because it was a conversation that happened. You guys visited it once and then said, hey, we're closing that door and never going back. If I do that to a reader, right, I might have a few people that say, hey, but what about that, that place? And we never go back to it. And it's unanswered questions. And it would leave people feeling unsatisfied on something. Mm-hmm. So that, that's when I omit something like that. Yeah. Um, and when it comes to acts, like you were saying, like, do I write an acts? I really just write, like, based on what they're doing and to keep them intrigued. Mm-hmm. If I can keep them interested in playing the game, then I think we're doing fine. Because mm-hmm. having four to five grown men interested in stopping what they're doing, on, especially during football, to uh, play on a yeah. Sunday afternoon, <laughs> right? I got to have something intriguing. Um, I'm getting towards, I, I write in uh, about six stages for every chapter of our campaign. I don't plan it mm-hmm. because, you know, but I, I do after about two or three sessions, I'm like, all right, cool. Something cool has got to happen because it's yeah. been two or three sessions. And now I'm as a DM, I'm kind of bored. Um, so that's how we play it. I, I feel like if I write for us and we, and we, and we just play to have fun, that'll make it to the book. If I let the book dictate the game, then we're limiting ourselves. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, definitely. And then that's one of the big benefits to why your guys' games are so far ahead of the comic book that you mm-hmm. get like, okay, let's kind of cherry pick this to make this flow correctly. Right. Um, and then that was one of the things I was going to ask you is, is are you guys using any other medium to kind of sell this world? Like maybe streaming your guys' play sessions or something like that. You almost don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> We've thought about it. And I mean, to be, to be brutally honest, you're talking to a bunch of dudes in different, different areas and we stream most of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think the world opening up our personal game sessions to everyone to view and, and be there. Um, it, you've been at a table with a bunch of people. Not everything that you say is going to be acceptable to everyone. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Does that make sense? Definitely. And yeah. I edit a lot. <laughs> right. And, and we don't want to edit ourselves while we play. Right. And because I brought that up and they were like, oh, no, no, because we say some stupid stuff. Yeah. Because you put yourselves and your friends in a, in a room together and you don't know if what you say 
might not be acceptable to somebody else, especially right. in the world we right. live in right now. Yeah. And, and you guys tough. already have your conversation manner. You already know the flow in which each other will talk. And then when you add an outside audience, you're trying to like live up to them or, you know, regulate yourself to them. And then there's also that, that idea that like, well, now I have to kind of like turn it on. I have to be funnier than I'm supposed to be. So then you're uncomfortable the whole time. Right. So yeah, there's all that too. So that makes total sense. Yeah. And, and some of these guys aren't, they, they, it's tough enough for them to role play with a group of friends. Yeah. You add in someone that's watching all of a sudden, like the, the voice changes or, you <laughs> yeah. know, like I guess that yeah. moment you're like, all right, kid, come on, come on. You can speak. Yeah. I say kid because he's the newest member in our group and it took him the longest to really feel like he could role play. And yeah. so most of the time when he wanted to say something funny, he would send a gift to us and, and chat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it like, takes a bit. <laughs> it takes a bit for somebody to be, like embrace the accent. It's okay, buddy. We're all making fools of ourselves right now and having fun doing it too. Like that's the point. Right. <laughs> and I'm the DM that has the same accent for everybody. Everybody in New Orleans has a New York accent for some reason. Just, yeah. Everyone just moved down lived in new orleans they wanted to be down there yeah i i play eric o which is a bird person I'm like surprise the bird person has a very california accent i'm not gonna do any cacaws in the background it ain't happening oh see when i was playing i i played one so i actually had a campaign where i played um my i guess we never really got completion on my character but um it was a shapeshifter that massacred an entire party of characters all six of them and when he did, he absorbed all of them into him. Oh, that's and fun. So every session, I had to roll a new character after I woke up. And I would shapeshift into this new character, armor and all, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I had, like, the, the, the good cleric. And I modeled him after uh, the knight from Final Fantasy IX. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. So he was, like, this good, good, upstanding cleric that just wanted to do good all the time. Yeah. It, the first time out he got murdered by a group of bunnies and so after that he was afraid <laughs> of bunnies um and then i had the evil Grewilda, which was this uh um uh tiamat or not um what's the the devil looking characters i can't think of the name off the top of my head um that's yeah, the dm's job like remember <laughs> yeah devil looking warlock character Mm -hmm. And she talked like this, and that was the only accent I could give her because she smoked like five different packs of cigarettes a day. That's perfect. Um, <laughs> and then for some reason, she only had one breast, but if we reverted her age, she had two. And yeah. then if we, because like depending on when she woke up, depending on when she aged, because oh, her uh, cool. demon god hated her so much mm -hmm. that she had to like sacrifice her. I don't know why my DM did this to me, but she had to sacrifice parts of herself to like get spells so like at one point i'm cutting off an arm so i could cast with this arm my, my that's hardcore terrible yeah it was, it was so but then when i woke up I'd, I'd be fine again and i'd have to revert and redo it yeah um but i did have an, uh, uh, the bird character and i refused to let him talk so he only called and that was it i'm like Caw -caw, murder <laughs> everything yeah. and he was the biggest murder hobo he was a uh, um one of the blood uh blood omen characters whatever he like i could suck the, the leech off other enemies yeah and i had a crossbow he was broken he was so he was the first one that the dm just like nixed out the gate was like right i'm killing that one off for good because he's just too powerful because yeah. he was a bird and like he could fly and then he could turn into a werewolf and fly is so op sometimes it's crazy it's just oh, like, yeah. i'm gonna fly and like be up here for a bit because i don't really want to have to deal with that guy <laughs> Well, I played him even worse because I wouldn't tell the party what he was saying. I would text my DM and I, for the entire session, I would be in character and I would only call, call yeah. the entire time. And they hated <laughs> it. They were like, 
can you just tell us what you're saying? And I'm like, Caw-caw! and I would yeah. text the PM, this is what I'm doing. And I would roll for it. And he would, because we had a um, computer in the room and he would message me back. He's like, yep, yeah, that's fine. And so he was the only one that could know what I was saying. Yeah. Um, and I know we're getting off on D&D and this is why. I happened. know, it's hard not to, man. <laughs> it's so hard not to. But yeah, yeah. so to give an, people an idea, yeah, D&D is crazy and check out Crit because it's almost just as crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that kind of gives you an idea. We'll, we'll roll it back. We'll, we'll pull this back in. The way D&D spins off like that is how Crit can spin off. And mm-hmm. so you want to make sure that you're in there on ground one so that you could sit there and watch this story jump around in some crazy scenarios and see honest reactions from actual people that are playing out these parts. So it's more important than, oh, what would, you know, what would Marvel put out there and make sure that it sells books? No, this is actual reactions to the scenarios from friends. Like, that's just, that's just, that's their pitch right there. That's perfect. And when we're done with the book, when I finish drawing it and lettering it, everything's good. We do a round reading, right? Mm. Because almost every piece of dialogue in there is inspired by something they said at the table. Yeah. But again, you know, we're filling in some spaces and creating it's going from one medium to another. And so when I'm done, I go back, then I say, Hey, read all your characters dialogue. If that fits you, we're cool. Austin without fail every time. Nope. I got to say something even dumber. Nope. (laughs) Because he plays himself in the, in the game as he's the youngest guy in the group, which he is. Mm-hmm. and he has a very interesting way of conveying jokes and like doing things just he's an all he he always tried to be this awkward character yeah because he pictures himself if he had like you know flame powers tomorrow he's like i would be awkward he's like i'm already right. an i was an awkward kid you know like so i'm gonna be awkward and my jokes aren't gonna be as like off the tongue like me and me and brad we're both sarcastic people yeah. And Austin's not that way. So he's like, I wouldn't come off like you. So he'll change some of his dialogue. And in book four, it was like really heavy where he would, he just went in and changed a lot of his dialogue. And I went back and read it and I was like, okay, this is perfect. You know, yeah. it's annoying as crap, but it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. That's the point almost. Yeah. <laughs> he's almost like and, the annoying little brother that's now hanging out with you guys. Right. And, but I think for the reader though, and I've had a few people tell me this, what they love about it is the characters have, these individual personalities and they have mm-hmm. these interactions that you can't mimic. Right. Right. So like you see how Boulder and caliber react to each other. And then you see how they react to specter or like reach. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's different. And even how reach inspector interact is different. It's not like everybody has. And I think this is where some team books fall into is like, everybody's got to have the sarcastic moments between them. Yeah. And these guys I'll talk to to reach like he's the dirty uncle, you know, because yeah. he's the guy that in, in, you know, going into the book, right. How does D and D affect the book? So we were getting ready for a game session and we have WhatsApp. Well, Austin only had WhatsApp to talk to us mm-hmm. and reach uh, uh, Obi is a shock value guy. Right. Um, and he puts the most awkward things into our chat room just to get a reaction out of us. Right. Yeah. So he puts a drawing of an octopus and a female and, you know, yeah. awkward positions in there one day. And I mean, it was graphic and it was brutal. <laughs> I pick up my phone. I was like, what is this? As soon as I read it, you just see underneath Austin has left the chat. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> and so in the book, I had to put in there that, that, you know, he was kicked out of the chat room yeah. because we had to make a separate chat just for Austin because <laughs> he wouldn't be in a chat room anymore. He's like, I can't have that on my phone. 
Yeah. Because he used his phone for work. And he's like, God forbid a customer picks up my phone. Oh, could he's you like, imagine? Because WhatsApp automatically saves all the pictures to your phone. Yeah. He's like, I constantly have to go through and delete Obi's pictures, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it gets worse. It was worse than that. I, I mean, I totally understood why it happened. Um, but he's always the guy that's just pushing that. How far can I push this? And that's why they're like, when he goes, hey, look at the screen. I'm going to show you something. They're like, uh-uh. Yeah. No, nope, not going to happen. Because that's how it is in real life. And so it's really easy for us to have that, that dialogue between them and that interaction without it having to be written. And how does that look like? Because a lot of writers, they're like, what does that look like? What does that conversation flow like? Well, that's easy for me. Hey, you two have a conversation real quick. I'm going to record it. Yeah. What a valuable tool. That is amazing. And it's, it's more natural than just some guy sitting in a room to try to think this all up when you're actually Mm -hmm. like, Hey guys, test pilot, let's do this. And, uh, and man, that is, that is neat. Um, it's cool too, because I know my friends so well, sometimes like issue zero, I wrote. Okay. All right. I took it. It's a conglomeration of about two or three different sessions with Mm -hmm. that one, because we had three different real session ones, because again, you play one, you scratch the characters, you start over, but the core story was always the same. We were just playing a few different games. And so I kind of mishmashed some of the dialogue and some of the occurrences. And so I wrote it. And when we got it back, you know, another artist did that one. So when we got that back, I lettered it and I gave it to everybody. I said, what do you think? And they're like, wow, you really know us. Yeah. And I said, that's perfect. You know, that's perfect. I wrote every ounce of dialogue in there and they didn't change a word. Yeah. And I said, okay, I know my friends. That's cool. You know, yeah. like to me, that that's kind of cool that I know them so well that I can write interactions between them and it comes off natural. Right. That is neat. And then, so let's, okay. So for the comic book wise, I mean, we're going to, we're going to start shifting into how people can get their hands on this and then the comic yeah. book themselves. I want to make sure everybody understands that one thing I really like about this book, all the books, is that there's a lot of kind of closer up shots than what you're probably thinking of from an action comic book. It's because the dialogue is so important. And so you really, you know, you have a lot of these speech bubbles that is really important. It's similar to what you would expect from like a Watchmen kind of thing, right? So it's all about what they're saying. So that's what you guys are going in on this for. And really good story and a clear connection between all the characters. And it's amazing. You'll pick favorites right away. Mine is obviously Boulder. <laughs> and then so make sure you guys check this out where could they get this book where can they get their hands on this uh, homebrewedcomics.com is probably your easiest bet i've got social media links all over the page i've got links to the kickstarter on there you can purchase digital and physical copies right off the website i made it very accessible so do you, do you have uh, a kickstarter active right now it launches next wednesday for the okay. um it's the sixth installment it is issue five sixth installment um it's also going to have the trade paperback of zero through five in there so if you're coming in at ground ground zero you can pick up everything at once in one book you can buy the singles you can do whatever you want i've customized everything add-ons are there you can even get this little guy he's going to be in there so you know yes he's like a must-have we've got collector cards in there as well i did this in the last kickstarter we have a whole bunch of different collector oh, cards. Oh, wow. Oh, which wow, I did. You're going to appreciate this. I did the yeah. D&D stats on them. I'm actually, I have those on my other monitor. You have a couple of those on your website. I have a couple mm-hmm. of those up right now as reference. Yep. I printed Perfect. those up as uh, as collector cards. And we're doing a villain set on this one. So okay. you, can get, you can pick up the villains um, as a stretch goal on this campaign. Okay. And one thing you can't see, everyone's asked about, you know, 
I do a lot of, I've done a lot of these shows over the past couple of years. Right. And I've talked to a lot of indie creators and something that is very prevalent in indie is, you know, why would I want to get in your book? Because most indie creators last like two or three books and we never see them again. Mm-hmm. I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt right now, but on the last, last Kickstarter as a stretch goal, if we hit a hundred backers, I was going to get a crit tattoo. I have crit tattooed on the back of my arm. Nice. That's how dedicated I am to this book. All right. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if I'm going to do another tattoo at 200 <laughs> backers this time. I might start getting like some helmets and things put on there. I do want to fill it in and make it cool. Um, but I get really creative with the stretch goals. And I'm going to tell you that while this is the end of chapter one, it is the beginning of a much bigger story. Right. And yeah, we go into different dimensions later on. And um, King Arthur comes into play at some point. So <laughs> just, just know there's a lot. Um, we're, we've already written 36 of these books. Yeah. So we're not going anywhere anytime soon. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it's already, the, the legwork's already done. I just have to draw. That's yeah. it. As well, long as my hands stay functional, we're fine. Everybody listening to this right now, they know you guys are going to stick around because they hear the dedication that, that you're already putting into this work. And the fact that you have such a cool team involved is, is such a valuable asset. So people know that this is something they want to make sure to invest in. And so uh, we're going to have links to not only the Kickstarter, but the website, to all the social medias right in our description guys so make sure you start clicking away and start following and subbing and, and everything you need to do is always appreciated i'm on instagram all the time it's just at homebrew comics yeah i do have twitter and facebook but they just don't work as easily as um instagram does because even on facebook i have to go to a different chat just to see what people say right. so if you want to get a hold of me personally instagram is the best way um you know that's that's where i'm usually at i do have a question for you yeah why was older your favorite He's just, he's got this like cool ass attitude where you're just like, that guy's awesome. <laughs> if I were to play <laughs> one of these characters, it would be him. But, um, well, yeah, really, he's, he's just so damn cool. <laughs> awesome. The, the glasses cool. move right away. When you get the glasses move, I was like, I'm invested. And then just like <laughs> reading the entire time, he's always like got his arms crossed, leaning against a wall somewhere. And he's just like, yeah, he's, he's the badass of the crew. <laughs> I will let him know. Because, uh, yeah, I always like to give them feedback when I hear someone really likes one of the characters. Yeah, uh, there's that. And then uh, with with the Boulder, Boulder Terrell is one of my he's called like mini me. We're, we were roommates for a while and we actually yeah. met because of work put us in the same apartment. And we had like we would go out and everyone thought we were brothers because of our personalities. Yeah. So um, that's kind of cool that, that you like him. I will let him know and make him happy. That's like excellent. I said, he actually lost like 50 pounds to look like Boulder in real life. That's like, so cool. Yeah, well, the, so I will definitely pass it on. The fact that you could even do that is a reason to like really start following this book. If you guys aren't following it yet, is the fact that Boulder exists, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's so freaking cool. It's not like I can go talk to Peter Parker, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's just, that's what's really neat about all this. Um, His wife was at work one day and a, a friend of hers at work came up and, and yeah. he was like, Hey, I got into this comic book and there's a character in there that reminds me of Terrell. Oh, that's crazy. And he had just backed the Kickstarter apparently and found us. I had no clue who he was. Yeah. And Terrell lives about two hours away from me. We all used to live in the same town. Mm-hmm. Well, she goes, what comic book is it? And he goes, oh, is this book Crit? And she goes, oh, that, that, that character isn't like Terrell. That character is Terrell. Yeah. He goes, what? He goes, I was reading that book and I was like laughing because that's how Terrell talks and that's how Terrell looks. He goes, yeah. that's insane. And so that was a moment where like Trell was like stoked, you know, he went home, his wife comes home and says, Hey, someone at work 
has your book that we don't know. God, and that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, but he knows you and says that, it, and then he came to me and said, you must be doing a good job because this guy thought that that character was like me. And, it, you know, so that's really cool that that kind of like comes off. Yeah. Um, you don't get that in other books, right? You, no, no way. That's, that's totally unique, you guys. And that's something that's just so freaking cool. And I hope people jump in on board while they can. Uh, well, I'm excited doing. for this Kickstarter. Um, yeah. We're going to be doing a live launch on our Instagram page starting at 7.30 next Wednesday night. I'm probably going to go okay. till about 9. I'm going to have a bunch of different creators jumping in and out. Um, you know, you can find us in comic book shops too. We do have distribution through Golden Distribution. So anywhere you go, you can request that. We have quite a lot on the books for this year. So yeah. I'll be at a couple cons. Um, we're going to be doing at least three Kickstarters this year for three different books. And really just, you know, putting that crit out. Um, yeah. And you had said that you would play Boulder. Well, in the Kickstarter, I'm actually putting the levels one through five, the character sheets in there so you can create nice. your own version of these characters. And our end goal after the story of Crit is over, the world of Crit will exist. Mm -hmm. And that's when we're going to work on our fifth edition version of Crit and oh, release nice. characters and NPCs. And actually, that way... Uh, you can't see my my books over here, but I have like every fifth edition book here. We're yeah. gonna start working on Crit the game, oh, so we'll amazing. have Crit the comic first, <laughs> and then we'll work on Crit the game, and that way people can really get in there and play it. Yeah, and you're building the community where everybody's anxious to get in there. So that's what's really that's above and beyond. That's so neat. Yeah, interesting. We were gonna do the game first, and then the comic. We were gonna do the comic as like a, a just a, a fun thing to add in for the game. Yeah, and so many people were going after the comic that were like, well, we'll put that off. <laughs> right. Yeah, you got to kind of move with the crowd on that one that was a good mm -hmm. move uh, yeah. all right well chris i want to thank you so much for joining me man this was such a fascinating conversation thank you very thank much you for having me. i appreciate yeah. it anytime you have a free spot i always like to get on and talk crit so i always got something oh, yeah. going on definitely all right guys check it out again all the links are in the description follow them on instagram get in on that kickstarter this is a community you want to join all right thank you very much and we'll see you guys next week bye